Hello. I'm Penny. Um, I am an ordained Church of England person, but I don't always wear my dog collar. Um, I was trained at Wycliffe Hall after being a primary school head teacher. And um, so I have very happy memories um, from 98 to 2000 doing that. And since then, um, I was a curate in Oxford City. And then after three years, went on to uh, start um, back in 2003, what was uh, the beginnings of Fresh Expressions, um, a Fresh Expression on the housing estate. And um, back then, um, the documentation that's around now wasn't there. And um, so it was a matter of really deciding, well, where do you start and what do you do? Um, I finished that job in 2009 and went off travelling, which was fantastic, and I've now just started another um, similar thing on a new housing estate. And one of the things I'd be very interested to talk to you about, if you have any questions, is, you know, the difference, really. What works on one place doesn't work on another. So I'm going to belt through a little bit about um, this place in Whitney called Madley Park, and then after that, um, and during that time, please answer any questions you want to. Okay? Is that all right by you guys? Okay. You know. Great. Okay. I just wanted to ask you a question at first, and you might like to turn to one another. Is a pioneer always an evangelist? And can all evangelists be pioneers? Do you want to turn to somebody next to you and see what you think about that, and if that's relevant? You may have discussed this before in your groups. You'll see later on why I'm asking this question. What do people think? Um, first of all, is a pioneer always an evangelist? Yes. You think yes, yeah? Would everybody agree with that? No. No? no? Okay, why? Those who disagree, would you like to say why you disagree that all pioneers. Yes, please do. Well, just in the sense that evangelist is somebody that is just showing and telling the good news, and just in our behaviours, not necessarily by the old fashioned methods. Yeah. But Okay, good answer. The um, other side, other view? Not always evangelists? There's quite a lot of pastoral care that's taken on in a, in a new pioneering role as well. So pastoral care, yeah. yeah. So it may not, you may not be overtly good evangelist, still look out for Okay, any other sort of comments to be made? You could also be doing something new and pioneering without necessarily being evangelistic in what you're doing. Could you give a kind of example of what might be? You could, you could decide to you know, do something that is cutting edge and new and nobody's thought of it before, but be very ineffective in evangelism of what you're doing. And so there might be perhaps a next stage, maybe. And one of the things I'd like to talk about is the whole issue of transitioning because I've left one Fresh Expressions to hand over to somebody else, and that hasn't happened a lot, I don't think. What about this question? Can all evangelists be pioneers? No. Is that a, a general no? Well, they could. Yeah. Theoretically. Theoretically they could, Theoretically. but in practice it doesn't always the case. Okay? Thank 
thank you. That's great. Just, uh, you'll understand why I asked that question in a minute or two. Um, I started my work back in 2003 on a new housing estate in Whitney called Madley Park. Like most housing estates, and this is one of the main problems, it's at the edge of the existing village or town, and so there's always a distance to go to get to the town in so many of these new housing estates. Um, so it took a mum with a buggy 25 minutes to walk into town with her buggy from this particular estate. And um, when I moved on this estate, there was no shop, and um, there was no community centre, there was not even a bench to sit on. Nothing at all, not a post box. Had to wait for years to get a post box to post your Christmas cards. So there you are, placed on a housing estate. All your resources are at least 25 minutes away, or you have to get in your car. Um, uh, the funding that I had was um, through a budget that the Diocese of Oxford had called Cutting Edge, which was to encourage fresh new forms of church. So after I became a curate, I chose to do something more, um, something more and different um, in, in the area of fresh expressions. I found people saying to me, um, Christians saying to me, Penny, I can't, I can't go to church on Sunday and hear the same thing that I've heard when I was you know, 18 that I'm hearing when I'm 38. I've, heard, I've, I've taken many people through Alpha courses, and they're great, and then you send them to church and it all goes very pear-shaped. Or there are people out there for whom the word church is such a switch-off. So I wanted to go and see if you could build community and from that create Christian community. And you can tell me at the end if you think that's happened or is happening, because it doesn't stop just because I leave. So I got given a house, which was rather nice, and a salary, which I haven't got in my current job, and we'll talk about that later. And um, in September 2003, when I arrived, there were 260 houses on this estate. And by the time I left in 2009, there were 1,260 houses. So over a period of, of um, five years, just over five years. You know, it's really exciting if you can do something on a new estate because you've got this blank page, really. So here's a question. What would you do if you were trying to build community on a new housing estate? What would your idea, what would you want if you had a blank page and a pen? What would you like it to be like? Anyone like to throw some words out? What would you like your new community to be like? Friendly. Friendly, yep. Safe. Safe, yeah. Meeting places or places where you would intersect with other people. Yep, places of meeting. Somewhere where you knew your neighbour. Yeah, those are really great. As a proper, I, I think, you know, practically, financially, you want a property that's in an attractive area with good quality housing. And that in itself is an interesting thing in the new housing area. I guess you do want a sense of safety and security. So what builders now do is they say, well, if I put a six-foot wall all the way around each of the properties, then I will make people feel safe and secure. But, of course, the minute you do that, nobody can chat to anybody over the back gate. And um, if you go out through your back door, then you've just got a chance that you might meet somebody as you go out your back door. Um, and if you go out of your front door, most people don't, actually. They usually park their cars at the back and go out of the back door. So it's interesting. So, yes, they will, people are safe and secure. And um, that sense of belonging, you know, and ownership for the area. But how do you create that? How do you create ownership for, you know, 200 houses on a field, basically, with a load of diggers up the road all the time? Um, and then people talk about a sense of belonging to take ownership, uh, but also a sense of community. What does it mean to be in a community? And that was a question I and a few people really thought about. What would it mean to create um, community? And 
then, of course, as somebody said, you know, the opportunity to meet other people. And it amazed me um, when I first lived on the estate, because my house was in the middle of the estate, how people don't talk to each other naturally. People don't always introduce themselves to their neighbours. It's just something that I would automatically do if I moved. I'd knock on my neighbour's door and say, hi, I'm Penny and I've just moved in. But people don't always do that. And so they need some form of facility to do that. So... It's interesting because when people arrive on a new estate, there are lots of uh, lots of excitements because you've got this brand new house that you've really wanted. Your expectations are really high. Um, they want to be involved, so there's a captive audience of people wanting to. Um, they find there's this huge expense when you move in because when you move into a brand new house, there's no curtain poles, no toilet holders, no towel holders. So there's huge expense at first. And everybody, of course, wants their houses to look like something out of an IKEA catalogue or, you know, um, or whatever their aspirations might be. Um, and then after that comes a kind of depression um, that the length of things like a snagging list. So when you move into a new house, you write down all the things that are a problem with it. And these can be very long. And in some cases, we found houses that hadn't got underfloor insulation, even though they were passed by all the regulatory bodies. And so the houses were freezing. Um, gardens with, soil, with the sort of two inches of soil and then rubble underneath it. All sorts of issues. Oh, garages. They're really good at building garages. You can get your car in, but you can't get out of your car once you're in your garage. So loads of garages. So if you can't get into the garage with your car, then where do you park your car? On the road instant issues really so all sorts of things like that um, and there's lots of challenges of people living on a new um, build because you are living on a building site all the time so I didn't clean my car for almost three years because there was no point because you drive around a corner to visit and you'd be covered in mud so that's an interesting wall those six foot walls that we've mentioned big issue um, a the first family that ever moved into the estate was um, on the uh, in June 2001, there were absolutely no facilities. And they told stories of how the um, builders would forget that they were living there, and so they'd turn all the electrics off um, when they went home. And they'd find at night there was no electricity. And they'd have to ring somebody up and say, excuse me, we are living here. So lots of, you know, lots of issues. Um, and also, you know, if you move to... Watlington to a village, you know what you're getting. You know where the shop is, you know where the play park is, you know where all the where things are. But of course, when you move onto a new housing estate, you don't know at all. And um, that's, quite a, that's quite a worrying for people at times. And just to give you a kind of time scale um, about that, um, the first play area didn't come until 2005. Um, the boat bus route didn't come till that time. Um, the new shop. Um, was 2006, a post box in 2007, and the build I left as they was, um, the building was just beginning to be started and it's just been finished this year. So all the things that you would normally have to create community aren't there. And I have to say, one of the key things was the shop. The minute the shop was there, people came out of their homes and met and chatted, and that was really important. And one thing I should say that was there was a school. And you do find in many of the new housing estates that schools are there and quite pivotal. OK, 
okay? And, you know, there is always a resentment as well by the existing community because all these new cars have arrived and so as far as they're concerned, they're people, there's pressure on the shops. And um, in Whitney, we had some very bad flooding and they even blamed the flooding on the new housing because obviously, you know, it was their fault because they'd um, built on this, um, this piece of where the... Um, where the water used to go from the hills down. So, you know, everything is blamed on this new housing estate, and it's not always easy to be part of one. So, OK, you arrive as a networker, a community networker. That's what I call myself, community networker. Um, so what could you offer? Well, for me, it was a newsletter at first, um, uh, called the Project Discovery Days. So people would say, oh, we're going along to Discovery Days, which would basically mean one of the things that we put on in the community. Uh, so, uh, this newsletter acted as a shop window through which, you know, all the initial activities could be advertised. So, I've got some examples here I'll give to you afterwards. So, there's the newsletter telling you what's going on. On the back are all the existing groups. This is the last one before I left, so you might like to see that. Um, so, if somebody came to me and said, Penny, I'd like to start a jogging group, you could advertise it through the newsletter. And this newsletter went to every house on the estate over a period of time. I think, for me, that was really important. A means of communication was really high on the list. And also, something that people could identify with. A logo, um, a name, that they knew what they were, what they were getting when they went along. Um, one of the most important things when I first um, moved on the estate was to have an open residence meeting. We had it in 2003, and it's still going on. And out of it has come a residence association which is really active. Sounds a small thing, but it gave people a place to vent, because they were angry, some of them, I have to say, about what was going on um, and um, the state of some of the housing. Um, but it started then, and we got builders along and local police and the co-op who ultimately put the shop in and all the social housing people along. And every three months we'd have this meeting. And that was a way of bringing the community together. And people who wouldn't come to the toddler group we put on would come to a community meeting and I do remember there were 260 houses and 50 houses were represented at the first meeting so that was was interesting it showed we were touching where it itches and I think one of the things I would say um, is that every housing state is so different so you can't say well obviously well Penny did that in um, in Madley Park so well, let's try it I, I, I mentor quite a few pioneers particularly those in house on, on housing new forms of housing, and it's all different for every situation. So I'm just telling you my story, and then maybe we can ask some more questions. As I said, just stop me. Um, I had a house which, for me, was really, really important because it was a base to invite people to. I reckoned at a squeeze, if everybody sat on each other's knee, we could get about 20 people in the lounge. And I got the chance to choose the house to have a big living area. Because initially, when you start things like a book group, you start at your house and then it goes out from there. And so you have to be prepared, I found, to have your house pretty well as a thoroughfare. Now, I've known many pioneers who found that really hard, especially couples. I mean, I'm a really happy single, so anybody can come in. But if you're a pioneer, you've got your house and you've got your family, and you know, you're, you're having to use your house as your base, that's a real challenge for people, because your house is no longer your own. Um, I think the school was really, really important um, it, because it offered a room. They were, called themselves a community school and they most definitely were. So when I first arrived, they gave me a room to use for things like toddler groups. I, I met a mum walking down the street, and I'll, you'll see this slide in a minute, and I said to her, what are you doing very early on? She said, I'm just trying to find an adult to talk to because her husband used to go out at 7 in the morning, not come back to 7 at night. And a huge thing. 
finding someone to talk to if you don't know anybody. And so we used the community room to start Toddler Group. And on the first day, I wondered if anybody comes, so I brought a few friends in just in case. And we had 20 families. And, um, at, on most occasions, on our actual list, there were about 130 families of young mums with their children. They didn't all come at once, I'm glad to say. Um, and then they trans after we grew out of the community room, we actually moved into the big school hall because it grew so much. And mums would arrive, say, on the Friday and be at the toddler group the following Wednesday because they were so desperate to meet people, to get to know people. Um, so I wonder what the needs of the people there were. Well, that young mum I was talking to you about, for her that was really important. She was isolated all day. And then, of course, there are people, you know, working professionals who are... Um, you say, I, I never meet anyone, I get home so late at night, I can't, you know, I don't bump into people anywhere. And, and that whole general feeling of it's such a long way from town to get to anything, to be involved in anything. And, and just simple things like all the support net networks that you have have been taken away. So, you know, you can't go out for an evening because you haven't got any babysitters, you don't know anybody to babysit. I put on pamper evenings and one mum said to me, <laughs> I haven't got over this yet, really. Um, she said, do you know, Penny, this is the first time for 18 months I've been out of the house and done something for me. I thought, wow. <laughs> you know, so, um, so what we tried to do was I tried not to initiate anything that somebody didn't ask me for. Because, you know, we can be very, you know, churches, we say, well, you know, we're going to go into this community and we're going to do this for them. And sometimes, we, or often, we get it really wrong, don't we? You know, it's not what necessarily what people want. So I try to respond to what people ask for. So we had toddlers at 10, which was a toddler group. Um, a singles group, I'm single, that was very helpful, but there were lots of single people. Um, whether widowed, whatever, um, across the whole age range. Um, there were lots... Lots of over 55s hidden away. You know, if you looked at the estate at first, you think it was all mums and toddlers, but there weren't. There were lots of grandparents who'd moved to the area, people, you know, older, perhaps retired early. So we started something, they chose the name called Time Tra Travellers. Um, and they did, had a wonderful social life, really great. They'd meet once a month, but then they'd break down into friendship groups and lots of pastoral care um, there. And God was very gracious because. Um, a couple who had been in ministry in um, Walthamstow decided they were going to move. And they had this criteria of things they wanted. And um, they found themselves in Whitney. And to their absolute surprise, they found that God was calling them to the Madley Park estate. Not their choice, but when they got there, they found the house with all the criteria they needed and moved in. And they were fantastic because they was, had such a ministry amongst that age of people. And... One of the things I did always try to do, do always try to do, is to um, place Christians in these groups. Because if you, you know, if you have a singles group, it's a singles group unless there's somebody in there with a Christian influence. So that, to me, was really important. Book groups are great. I've had some fantastic conversations about God over, you know, whilst discussing a book. You know, it's a means, a way in, isn't it? It's a means to an end. Um, Men's football, we started a football group, suddenly thought that men didn't know anybody, so we started a football team. I didn't actually go to that much, but, you know, it was great for the dads, because all the mums were getting to know each other, but the dads weren't. Um, bridge group, this was a whole group of people who said, Penny, can you advertise a bridge group? Lunches for people who were at home. Um, funky knits for those who were sort of crafty. 
that will work. All those sorts of things, and in, on each community, it's going to be different. And what might be um, chill out with Chardonnay at one place might be beer and pizza at another. You know what I mean? You've got it's a matter of kind of gauging your community. So, so I wonder what fertility facilitates community. Well, for me, I think it's that key networking word, relationship and networking. That, for me, seems to be the most key thing. So we try to create social opportunities. So there it is, chill out with Chardonnay. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Um, four different houses around the estate, um, advertised to the newsletter, open their houses out for anybody who lived near them to come and drink wine. And do you know quite a lot of people came? <laughs> Sounds silly, such a simple thing. Now, on the estate that I'm on now, which is in Salt, just outside Salisbury, it would definitely be come for beer and pizza. But that whole idea of opening up your house and neighbours met each other at that particular event. So it's building community, really. Um, ladies' pamper evenings were really great because you relax and unwind. And for those young mums, community events like the Easter egg hunt became almost like the DNA of the, um, of the actual community and um, always used to involve crafts. And then, of course, something to do with the meaning of Christmas. Um, toddler discos. My goodness, toddler discos. Anyone who's not experienced a toddler disco has a lot lived. I tell you. <gasps> so... The mum said to me, Penny, we want a toddler disco. And I kind of looked a bit sort of about it. And they said, no, it'll be fine. So I said, OK. And basically, from five till seven, you have a disco. So you put some flashy lights on and some, you know, yaga doo 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 or whatever. It's, you know, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world or whatever. You put a few push toys out as well. And all the mums from the toddler group then come along. And interesting, the dads come home early from work so they can come and dance with their children at this disco. And the kids all put on their best frocks and things, and they look fantastic. And um, they all bring a plate of food, and then we have a big picnic a tea party afterwards. I learned towards the end, though, it's best to have an entertainer. <laughs> Otherwise, you walk home with your knees bent. But, you know, what happened was people, again, who the dads who we didn't make contact with would come along to this. And, of course, for health and safety reasons, you must have a list with names and addresses, mustn't you? So, of course, immediately then you have a, um, a gathering of names of people who might be interested in different things. So when it came to another slightly more um, Christian-orientated activity, you could write to the parents, you could contact the parents and say, hey, guys, you remember we came to the toddler disco? Well, we're doing this. Um, and I think that's really important. I know in Oxford Diocese, for instance, they talk about evangelism as a circle. I'm a bit of an old line girl myself. I'm the old Engel scale whereby, you know, you, you meet people informally and socially and you help them to journey in faith towards a personal faith in Jesus. And some of the things you put on that I'm mentioning here are right down the end at 10, you know, and then you have to put in place steps for people to be able to grow and develop um, in their faith. So I think that's really important. Um, as I've said before, the, you know, the arrival of the play areas and the community centre in the shop was key. Although I have to say, um, one particular play area we put on, in um, caused absolute havoc because the people who'd moved into the houses in one area didn't realise they were going to get a play area outside their door and some of them were not happy. The ones with small children were very happy, but if you didn't have any children or that was not easy and and I have to say that um, some of the people who sell the houses 
um, don't always tell everybody everything when they move on to an estate. So there it is, lots of things going on. Residents Association, the, a neighbourhood watch was started. Um, we did regular litter picks, walks, that was really good, going off for walks into the area and, we, um, and supporting the school. So gradually, people were getting to know each other through activities. Meeting, being, um, you could introduce somebody and say, "Oh, you live in Cranberry Road." Well, so does that person. So the role of the, uh, the coordinator is very much networking and being a facility, and then also developing that sense of belonging, um, that importance of being able to find someone to talk to. So key. So network, 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 relationship, relationship, relationship. So, okay then, this is all very good, but a social worker could do that, couldn't they? They could go onto the estate and build community, or um, the council could do that. So, how, how, does it, uh, how do you transition that into something more Christian? Well, I guess we've got an open door over the Hatch, Match and Dispatch department, haven't we, really? And I found it was very interesting. Mums would come up to me, I think of a single mum, and she came up to me and she said, Penny, I'd like to have my baby done, and I know you. Will you do him? She said, I can ask you because you won't judge me. And I think that's really quite interesting, isn't it? That she couldn't just go along to the local church and, because she thought she wasn't adequate, suitable. She's a single parent. Would they do her child? So that relationship building was really, really important. Um, marriages. Um, used a local church down the road. And you might want to ask some questions about that. Um, and dispatching. And some of your key relationships, we all know that, you know, when you're pioneers, you know, you have the key relationships to come alongside people who are, are grieving is really, you know, it's amazing. And the relationships you build with those people are so deep. Um, by the time I left, there were six Christian groups on the estate, of which one was a men's group. Uh, they went to the pub. Great. And um, the other three, five groups were... Um, I'm not going to use a common you know, mission or community language, but I'm just going to say that there were five groups that used to meet of different stages on their, in their Christian faith journey. So there were a few groups that were... Uh, two groups that were particularly for Christians who moved on to the estate, and they saw their role as praying for the estate. And then there were three groups that were much more seeker groups for people who'd either um, ask questions and, um, you know, at a book group saying, I don't understand about heaven and hell. And so I'd say, well, should we, have, should we get together? a glass of wine and talk about it and you know if you've got know anybody else you'd like to come along and groups seem to develop that way in an informal and non-pressurized sort of situation so that was really encouraging um jigsaw happened on a sunday afternoon life before messy church um jesus is great so are we um i did it weekly um i think mission um Messy Church is probably very wise because weekly is jolly hard work on a Sunday afternoon. We chose a Sunday afternoon, four to five. Everybody can go out for the day. Um, if you're a non-church family, you haven't got church in your diary. So, and then about four o'clock, they'd all come together, predominantly non-church people, with a few families who were committed to being involved. Um, hours worth of puppets and drama and craft and then tea afterwards. And for people on that estate that I was on at that time, it was the right time, because people came. Um, the, a care home was built. So that's a great opportunity, isn't it? So I used to organise um, care home services, you know, songs of praise. And those are people within that community that are important. 
So kind of lots of hats, really. Um, lots of links with the school. Um, cafe church, we did out of Jigsaw, we realised we were getting the parents coming along with their children, but we didn't attempt to make it anything more than for the ch children level. And so out of Jigsaw came a cafe church, which... Um, I'll tell you the story because I think it's really interesting. Um, I, at Christmas, I used to run an open house for Christmas for people who were on their own. And you get about 12 people often come, including one, one year, a Muslim family who wanted to find out what happens in a Christian Christmas, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and this particular chap, he was divorced and it, it was his turn for the children to go to the wife. And so he was on his own at Christmas. So he came and joined us and it was really great. When I went down to ask the nearest cafe if I could possibly use it to do cafe church, she said, I know you. You gave my now boyfriend Christmas lunch. I said, yeah. She said, well, in that case, you can use the cafe. And I thought, isn't that amazing? You know, that little action had an effect that actually extended God's purposes in a totally painless way. So they opened up for us. And a bit like now with Costa Coffee, you can do, you know, you could... Um, she let us have it free of charge as long as we drank um, £50 worth of coffee, which actually, if there's 30 or 40 of you, it doesn't take much doing, does it? Um, and pastoral needs. Uh, well, lots of questions around to collar or not to collar. Can it be a lay person doing this, a clergy person? Uh, do we build a church? Do we go in saying, I am going to create church in this community? Or do we, or do we use the facilities that are there, like a community building? Those are lots of questions we might want to discuss in a minute. I opted for the not the church, but using the community facilities. That was, and um, I wore my dog collar when I hatched, matched and dispatched. Okay? Um, what are the practical things? Well, the practical joys and frustrations, well, the town council and the district council wouldn't talk to each other. So one would build a playground, but the other was meant to maintain it. And there's this sort of incredible argument going on between them. And you want to sort of shake them and say, please, you know. But those sorts of little things, play areas, the community centre, took forever. Section 106 is the money that you get. Um, every, every house um, in, um, that is built... Um, a percentage of the money goes into a Section 106 pot, which is what all the community facilities are built from. But you have to have something in the region of 150, uh, 50 house, 500 houses rather, 500 houses before you can actually access that money from the community pot, which is one of the reasons why all those things took so long to come, because until you reach the 500 houses, you can't access it. Um, silly things like one particular group of roads, they made it so narrow that the dust cart couldn't get round without getting up on the, on the road. Um, yeah. Is that That pot is, um, belongs to, it is given by the builders to the council um, and so there might be an agreement before um, the estate is built that from that pot they will build a school or that they will provide a shop but that money is... Um, is, belongs to the council, yeah. Um, Non-completed links to the school. You have to measure how far you are from the school, but only on routes that have been created, and if the paths haven't been done, then there's all sorts of problems. Um, the, the school was built too small, as so many schools um, are, and so they had to build more. And, you know, that no community centre for seven years, how bonkers is that? You know, you want to put on community events and there's no community. So, for me, some of the issues 
issues were, and this is for me as a pioneer, doing new things on an estate and starting from scratch. They were for me, <laughs> there's always more and more and more and more things. Um, if you go it, as a curate, or um, into a traditional church situation. You know, you've got your Sunday services, you know, you've got your midweek meetings, etc. But when you uh, find that when you're in a pioneer situation, you go in with this blank page and there's nothing there really. I was on the phone to somebody who I'm going to go and chat with in January and he said, I've got this diary that's empty and I don't know what I should be doing. I feel guilty that nothing's there. And I said, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. Just give it a few months and it will get more and more more busy but that's quite an interesting one and um, what sort of pioneer are you on on new housing estates are you going in on your own that's my position um, uh, do you go in as a team are you paid are you unpaid is it an ecumenical group now that's fraught with interests as well when you get a new ecumenical group working together or not as a case may be do you build the thing that I think was so key for me that I probably should have done better was to build teams straight away to sustain the groups I created. Um, I did build teams, but I think I should have done it much sooner, much, much um, sooner, so that you don't carry the weight yourself. Because there is a danger, you're going, I'm the pioneer, and you find yourself getting the tables out, doing this. Do so teamwork, I cannot say enough times how important to have a teams of people is. I also had somebody who was called my accompanier, who was great. It was a couple. He was old-style church, and she was out-of-the-box sort of person. And they were a great foil for me, so I used to go and see them and talk to them um, about how it felt to be a pioneer, and that was really, really important. I would encourage you to get in, into a mentoring role as soon as you can um, because it's so, so, so important to have somebody outside the situation to talk to you about. I ask, if you're going in to a situation which is linked to a church, and not everybody is, we do need to make sure that the, the church takes ownership. I think there were times that they thought, Penny is doing that up on Madley Park. That's Penny's role, really. And although the church was fantastic, and a mile and a half down the road, actually, it was going on up there. And I think if I... If I reflect now, one of the things I would say is that I should have been better at communicating with the existing church, not telling them, asking them to do everything, but to be a good communicator to the existing churches. And I did go to all the Churches Together meetings for the very reason, so that everybody knew what was going on up on the estate. They didn't think I was some weird woman. So I did try to explain to people in the community what I was doing, because Whitney, in Oxfordshire, 26,000, quite a lot of churches. Um, so it's really important, that element of sort of linking in um, but I think in retrospect that was something that I should have been better at um, the whole funding issue which I'm sure you've talked about you know the sustainability of fresh expressions is a big one um, you know who's paying is the church the diocese other agencies how long for from my the cutting edge group that I was part of there were six of us is that six yeah one two six fingers you know they were that's what um they, and they all had funding, but some of the funding was theoretically only for three years. Well, that's just far too short if you're doing pioneer work. So that's the question to, to ask at the very beginning. And um, I'm almost there now. Um, transitioning of leadership. Um, different leaders will have different priorities and styles. I left the job as a natural 
set her up her. I enjoy getting things going. I love it. It's my, oh, I find a real excitement about starting new things. Um, I handed over to um, somebody who'd been on placement with me, and he um, came as a curate, so there was a gap of about um, a term before he started. Now, he is, I think, a natural evangelist. It's fantastic. He walks around in his dog collar, he talks to people, he prays from in the street, but he probably doesn't set up as many things as I did early on. But the question is, does he need to, if it's all there? And so, if I'd been looking for another me, would that have been the right person to come to this situation now? So that, that was a, a real a question, because he and I are very different. So I spent a lot of time in the toddler group, got to know lots of families through that. He doesn't go, because he doesn't feel comfortable going to that. Never crossed my mind that that might be the case. You know, very interesting. And... Um, and just this whole idea of where the inherited church comes in to, um, to pioneering and the links that we should make. You know, the whole mixed economy thing. Um, and I'm now in Old Sarum in Salisbury. I've got funding issues. I need support groups and I need a team. I've only been there three months. It's a distance from the town, ringing any bells, you know, and so the mums feel isolated because it's a mile and a half to buy a pint of milk. There are no other real facilities except a community room, which is an old shop that went fuck. Um, and for me, it's very different there because the relationships, there's an old partridge way, which was the sin bin of Salisbury, so all the difficult families were dumped there. And then all around it, new housing, so there's an interesting challenge when you try and link the two communities, most of which don't speak to each other. So my challenge there is to help Partridge Way, who feel very rejected, to link with the new housing, who they perceive as rich. And conversely, the new housing, are not too sure about Partridge Way because it's in the papers and there's lots of trouble and you can see graffiti. You know, interesting, totally different situations. Some of the issues are the same, but the situations are different. Um, yeah, and I've got one more slide which I won't show you now. Um, perhaps we can have some discussion together. So if I sit down for a minute, if that's okay, and we've got any questions we want to ask, and then we maybe some... I'll show you a few other things.